they have yet to establish really bad spending habits. Lifestyle inflation is nothing but a foreign phrase to them. They haven't engaged in that. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. But before we get into today's guest, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What's going on, man? Hey, man. Uh, just got in last night. Actually, I feel like when I'm talking about this trip where we're going to Colorado, I'm going to give listeners a little bit of whiplash because of how much things have changed where a few weeks ago what I thought I was doing and then I wasn't sure and then I was and so basically if you remember if you listen to some of the other episodes we we're going to be going up to Colorado for a little while I got coronavirus so we had to cut off the front half of that trip so we could do our full quarantine but then we got to go up and actually uh, just kind of hang out in a kind of like an Airbnb up in the mountains which was nice and it seems like it's lucky thing that we did get out of town because uh, right after we left, just a couple of days in, Texas got hit with this crazy ice and snow storm. Uh, a lot of people probably saw on the news. And I will say, like, I think a lot of people, and I've lived up north, you know, I've lived in Boston, I've lived in Colorado. They think when they see things like this, like, oh, well, people down there just don't know how to handle the snow. And that's just, like, not true. Uh, a, ice is so different than snow. B, uh, the South just doesn't have the infrastructure that the North has. Um, and especially in Texas's case, they chose to be kind of independent from the rest of the country. And that came back to bite them in a couple different ways as far as their energy grid. One, you know, they did that so they could have less federal regulations on their energy grid. So their stuff wasn't as weatherproof as maybe other parts of the country. Uh, the second bad thing about that is they can't receive energy from other states. Many states can so when everything went down in Texas, there was really no one who could help them. So a lot of people were without power. Uh, my apartment was out without power for three days. And then when you don't have power and you're in a place where the only heat source that people have is electricity and it's getting down to 10 degrees, uh, you have a lot of bad things going on, whether it be, uh, you know, people actually having medical conditions or, you know, pipes bursting. So a lot of pipes bursting. And so when that happened, you know, actually everyone, a lot of people lost water. Uh, so now you have people without electricity or water. They can't go anywhere because there's not all these trucks coming to plow streets and uh, salt and sand and what have you. So it got pretty bad down here. Luckily, though, for us, you know, we were very lucky that our flight actually got delayed coming back in. So we were supposed to leave on a Tuesday. They couldn't get us back home until Sunday. So we missed everything. When we, when we landed, it was actually 70 degrees and there was basically no sign of, of snow or anything. Uh, the only thing we had to deal with, we had to boil our water when we got home. And I think that's ending today. So anyways, yeah, it's been it's been a little crazy. But uh, in the end, I'm, I'm really glad that we were out of town for it. Hopefully, you know, give a little credibility back to us Southerners that it's not just our fault when everything goes to heck when, it, when we get some winter weather. But uh, enough about my shindigs up in Colorado and the snowstorm. Uh, how about yourself, Cody? Yeah, well, actually, real quick, before I give an update, did you get to go skiing? I know that was one thing that you really wanted to do, and we're catching up live now, but I'm just curious. So, no, you know, we, we cut off the front half of that trip, which was going to be our portion where we're going to be skiing. We were actually out uh, more towards Aspen, uh, where my pass isn't good for and we just decided that it would actually be, uh, we thought it would be simpler and cheaper 
for us to actually just go back to Colorado next month and ski at uh, resorts that we have already paid for. We have those passes for. And it also just allowed us to have a nice, simple, kind of relaxing part of the vacation where we just hang out in the hot tub, don't have to worry about dealing with rentals, slugging the skis around, buying extra passes. So yeah, so no, we did not get to ski that time, but I am going back out to Vail in March for to celebrate my 31st birthday on the slopes. Sweet, man. Well, I was on the slopes in Colorado. We did not meet up. We weren't too close because Colorado, as I've learned, is quite the expansive and difficult to drive state. Once you get in those mountains, it is like the worst roads ever. Being a Massachusetts guy, I'm like, oh, this is going to be no problem. You know, I'm going to crush it. Well, first of all, the rental company gives us a two-wheel drive truck. It was like the lightest Nissan Frontier ever. We're sliding around the roads, driving through the mountains. It was awful. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, come on, rental car company. They knew what they were doing. The guy was shimmying us off the lot saying, oh, the sound system's really good. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> but we ended up making it to Winter Park. We got a few awesome days of skiing there. The snow is just incredible. They get like feet of snow every week. So it's like gliding on silk when you're hitting the slopes, which is a lot different than up in the Northeast. Um, then we ended up going to Steamboat on the last day of our skiing trip. So all in all, it was a short little trip. It was a Wednesday to Sunday, but got a lot of good riding in. I'm definitely looking forward to going back again. Justin, I'm sure you're going to have a ton of fun. They've definitely got a lot of snow this year when you go over to Vail. So yeah, a lot of Colorado action, some skiing, some snow in Texas. Like who would have thought? But think that's enough about us, Justin. Let's take a quick moment for our sponsors. Super excited to share one of my secret weapons for learning new things and getting ahead, and this is Blinkist. So basically Blinkist is an app. It works on your phone, your tablet, on your desktop, and what it does is it takes books and it gets all of the need to know information out of the book. So it literally condenses an entire book down and it just 15 minutes and hits on the most important stuff. And I love to use Blinkist because I get recommendations for books all the time. I'm an avid podcast listener. I'm always talking to smart people who are reading tons of books. I get these recommendations, but I just don't have the time to read all the books from cover to cover. So this is all to say that with Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for the Show audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Show and try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Show to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash Fyshow. 2021 is here, and that marks a fresh start for all of us small business owners. So whether you're shifting business hours, hiring more remote employees, one thing that remains unchanged is the importance of having the right people on your team. When your business is ready to make that next hire, LinkedIn Jobs can help by matching your role with qualified candidates so that you can find the right person quickly. And to lend a helping hand, the first job post is actually free. And with over 700 million members worldwide, if you've ever been on the you know employer side of LinkedIn, there are just so many solid candidates for basically anything that you're looking to hire out. You can post a job with targeted screening questions to make sure you're getting the right people right off the bat. And LinkedIn will quickly get your role in front of the most qualified candidates. You can manage your job posts, contact candidates from one single view page. The platform is super easy to navigate. And you can actually do this all from your mobile device too. So when your business is ready to make that next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn jobs. And now you can post a job for free. Just visit linkedin.com slash show. Again, that's linkedin.com slash show to post a job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Alrighty, everybody. Now it's time to start talking about what you're really here for. That's the guest today who is Dan Sheeks from Sheeks Freaks. 
Dan lives in Colorado, which, you know, we've been kind of mentioning in our intro episode. So I think it kind of makes sense that we got Dan on today. He does his fair share of investing and real estate investing, but really what we talked about with Dan today was his teachings and the way that he is kind of spreading personal finance to the younger generation. And so Dan is a teacher. He has also created this kind of online community for younger people. And it's just really incredible to see how he's taking these lessons that are often complex and we generally don't see you know, younger people talking about. And he's taking that all the way down to the teenage age. So yeah, and real quick before we start clicking play on the episode, Justin, I was just blown away by his little mastermind group that he's thrown together. These are kids who are 15 to 18. It seemed like the age range when I was talking to them. 25, come on. It was like a Sunday night or something. And there's 25 of that age range kids listening to me talk about my journey, personal finance, entrepreneurship, and actually asking me smart questions. It wasn't like, you know, how do I open the savings account? It was like, what's your savings rate? You know, how do I take money out of my 401k early? I was like, geez, like these kids are legit. Dan is teaching them something. They were hungry to learn about, you know, personal finance and entrepreneurship, like I mentioned before. So I just want to give Dan a huge shout out. He's doing really cool stuff in the community, as you guys are about to hear. And if you want to get all the show notes from today's episode, the links, connect with Dan, join the Sheik's Freaks community. You can do all that stuff at thefyshow.com slash Dan. That's thefyshow.com slash Dan. So when I was a teenager, I, I grew up in a small town in the Midwest. We, my family did not have a lot of money. It was a single parent family, my mom, my sister, and myself. Uh, and so the budget was tight. And I, my mom taught me some about money. She, uh, she did a couple of things that were outstanding with my sister and myself. We had a checking account for a small business when we were young. But really, you know, she's like most other people in, in our country because we don't learn about this stuff in school, we're, you know, very much a financially illiterate country. And so she taught me what she knew, but she, like most other people, didn't know a whole lot. So I grew up, you know, in high school and college, I really did not know much about finance, finances or personal finance or investing or anything like that. I was like everybody else and was just kind of turned out into the real world to just it was kind of trial by fire, right? You got to you got to make a ton of mistakes, and hopefully by the time you're 40, you got it all figured out, uh, which is the status quo, I think, in our in our country, which is kind of sad. But eventually, I did. And I was a business major, and so I, I took classes um, like accounting and finance, so that I you know, I did learn more than the average Joe. And then when I started teaching personal finance, which is one of the classes I, I teach now in high school, you know, I, I learned even more, and then just was interested enough to self-educate myself, but not everybody falls into that category. And so that's kind of where my background is as a young person myself. And then I'd say about five years ago, when my wife and I started actively pursuing real estate investing as, as a form of passive income, um, when we were introduced to communities like Bigger Pockets and Choose FI, that's when we, we really started kind of amping up that part of our financial picture. And um, somewhere in there in the last five years, I decided to promote that education with young people, anyone who's willing to listen, honestly, beyond my classroom in, you know, in social media and website and blogs and stuff like that. So you definitely laid out a ton for us to unpack there, Dan. I want to kind of touch on one of the first things you mentioned, which was this small business that you had this checking account open for what was that? And how did that lead to you having that interest, that curiosity in finance that maybe not everyone has? Yeah, it was, uh, I would say I was probably around 
10, 11, 12, and my sister's a year younger than I am. Um, we had, we had some dogs, we had some Cocker Spaniels and they were purebred Cocker Spaniels. They had the AKC papers and stuff like that. And so we had a female dog, her name was Sandy and my mom had the idea, or I don't know where it came from, honestly, but we had the dog, our, our dog, Sandy bred with another purebred Cocker Spaniel. Um, and in that process, you can get purebred paperwork from the AKC national foundation or whatever. And so we had purebred Cocker Spaniel puppies, and then we listed them for sale. I think I want to say we sold them for like $80, $80 a piece. And so that little small business was kind of my sister and, and my business. My mom obviously helped out quite a bit. So we had a checking account just for that. You know, we'd buy dog food and we'd have to pay with a check or have the puppies get their shots. We'd pay with a check, but then we'd have revenue coming in when we sold the puppies. And we did that for a couple of years. Um, maybe three years, and then it kind of just went away. But yeah, that I, I'd say that kind of laid the foundation of an entrepreneurial mindset, at least. Um, but it was years later until I you know, started my own business or started teaching that those kinds of ideas. So this is a kind of a perfect transition into something that I had written down here that you wrote in your website. And I just thought this was such an awesome thing that you do for young students and young adults, because so many people, like you were saying, they don't have that taste of entrepreneurship or personal finance education or anything to do with money at all. And something you write, I'll quote exactly, is you're continually doing real world role plays in class that build confidence, teamwork, self-assurance, professionalism, communication skills, and the ability to think on their feet. I'd love if you could just kind of weigh in on that. Like what types of things are you doing with your students to, you know, maybe give them some of the things that you didn't have going through school? So yeah, role, role playing is, uh, in my classes that I teach is, is a very significant part of what we do. It's actually embedded in the competitive aspect of the DECA club. So I, I teach marketing, I teach entrepreneurship, and I teach personal finance. And there's a couple different clubs that high schools can have that align with those business classes. One is FBLA and another is DECA. Um, and so I've been a DECA advisor for my entire teaching career, uh, which this is my 18th year. And DECA has a number of different competitive events, role play. So they, they compete with different business um, related role plays. Um, and so I, my job is to prepare my students for those competitions by teaching them the curriculum and what they need to know to solve different business problems, but then also practicing those role plays in the classroom, giving them those real world skills of being able to think on their feet, answer tough questions, deal with upset customers. Because the role play itself is set up where the student plays the role of maybe a business owner, a salesperson, customer service agent, something like that. Then the other side of the table is a someone playing the role of an upset customer or just a customer or a potential employee for the business. And then there's a situation that's laid out that they have to follow. And the student is just tasked with solving the problem or figuring out a solution or coming up with a campaign proposal or business idea. It's a lot of different things, but it's a great skill to have. And it's, it's actually kind of fun to teach. And the students, once they get over that initial fear factor of oh my God, I'm in front of my peers, or I'm going to be in front of an adult who's judging me. And they actually really enjoy it themselves too. So I'm sure we're both really jealous. Probably a lot of listeners are jealous of these students that they're getting access to this kind of education that many people don't get. So I'm curious, like, is this class only for people in these clubs? Is it available to all students? And then what could parents out there do to try to bring these type of classes to their local schools? 
Yeah, the teachers I class, the classes I teach, sorry, are are electives, but they are open to everybody. Uh, every student can enroll in them, but uh, they're not required. So, and then once they're in the classes, uh, the business classes at my school, they then can choose to participate in in these two different clubs I mentioned, DECA and FBLA. Uh, most large schools will have one, if not both, of those clubs. Different schools though have different levels of involvement or levels of success with those clubs really kind of depends honestly on the uh, on the teacher and how how much time and motivation they have to put effort into making those clubs successful but if, if there's a school out there that doesn't have deca or fbla then i would suggest for any parent that would like to see that happen to reach out to um the principal of the school or perhaps the the school board or superintendent of that school district and make their make their uh, opinion known but as far as the actual class like not just the club is that something that's becoming more common in public schools or is there any kind of anything people can do to influence their public school getting an elective like that to influence the school to have more electives like that it would be uh, the same strategy talk to the principal um, maybe talk to some current teachers there but large schools it's different. Like when I was in high school, um, my school did offer accounting. That was, and I think we had, uh, it was called typing or keyboarding or something like that. Those are the business classes in my high school, but my high school was small and we still had a couple. Um, but now my, I teach at a large public school in Denver, Colorado, and we have classes, we have business law, we have accounting, we have computer apps, we have marketing one, marketing two, entrepreneurship, personal finance, and, and, and a couple others. And so the larger schools in metropolitan areas are going to probably have a business department, which are teachers who teach these classes. Um, smaller schools and rural schools, it's a little more difficult to hire staffing because um, if there's not a lot of students, then it may not fill up you know, enough classes to warrant having a teacher full-time to do that. So, But I would say if, if, the, if, the, if the school doesn't have those classes, then start a conversation with the school principal about how can those become available? Because they're, in my opinion, I'm a little biased, but I, I think they're super important for our, our students to have when they, for after their high school graduation. Oh, absolutely, man. We're definitely right there with you. We think it should be required in all 50 states. But something I've actually seen you write or talk about before was it's difficult to get them to actually like require, make it a mandate to have financial education or personal finance education in high school. Is there a reason for that? I feel like going to any state, whoever the board of decision makers is for the schools and saying, hey, these kids should probably know a thing or two about credit, student loans, mortgages. And they're just going to say, no, like we, we can't yeah. quite squeeze that in. Or what's the conversation like? Um, that is a whole nother podcast episode. <laughs> But I will, I will put it into like hopefully a very succinct answer here. So public education is left up to each state to determine what they want to do. And I think that's a good idea. The, the federal government doesn't dictate how, how students in different states should be taught. And so each state is left up to their own choice as to whether they want to make a class like personal finance required. There are a few states that have done it and kudos to them. There's about seven or eight states out of the 50 that have made the a, a semester-long personal finance class a high school graduation requirement. But most states, including my own, Colorado, have not. And you know the reason behind that is there, there's more than one. It's, it's a little complicated, but you get into things like money and, and funding. You get into things like politics. And you know the people who have the power to make that class a requirement are, are, are elected 
legislators in each state and like it or not, they're mostly interested in, in getting reelected. And I could get into why personal finance isn't on the top of the priority list to do that. Uh, it isn't. And so, but there are some school, each school and each school district can make their own decision to make that a requirement. Um, my, my, the district I teach in, I've approached them to say, you know, let's have a conversation about personal finance class being a high school re requirement and they are not on board. Um, not even close. So it's, it really is left up to parents who, you know, as we all know, most of them don't know this stuff either because they didn't get it in, in, in high school or anywhere else in college for that matter. So it's kind of a downward spiral and that's why we kind of are where we are, but things are trending in the right direction very slowly, but in the right direction. So it sounds like you're doing a great job influencing others on, you know, these topics of personal finance, entrepreneurship. What are some of the things you've been doing in your own life as far as, you know, businesses that maybe you've started investment vehicles? What is your kind of outline of how you're preparing yourself for retirement? Yeah. So my wife and I, my wife was a public school teacher for uh, many years as well. And she recently retired from that and she managed our, our real estate portfolio. And part of that is growing our real estate portfolio. So we we started investing in real estate and we've been doing that for a few years now and it's been very successful for us. I, I personally think that investing in real estate is one of the best ways to invest money. And so we, we have a portfolio of real estate investments. We also in, invest in index funds, although less, but we do that as well. Yeah, that's kind of where we're at. It's all you need, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's as simple as that. <laughs> I will say there's one additional piece. As a public school teacher in Colorado, I will have a pension as well when I'm done teaching. And so that that plays in significantly. And that's not an option that many people have. I'm, and I'm grateful for that option. Well, there's obviously so many different paths you can go. You can go the real estate route. You can build your own business. You can invest in stocks. Like There's literally infinite ways you can build these passive income vehicles where that will allow you to retire at whatever age you choose. But what kind of made you want to start? I mean, you have a whole community of people now. I'm sure none of their paths are the same. They all come from different backgrounds. It's called Sheik's Freaks. What kind of inspired you to want to, you know, you have your own journey, but what made you want to inspire and touch on all these other people's journeys and, you know, lead them toward their path? Yeah, that's that's kind of where my passion is. As, as I became more informed about passive income and real estate investing and index fund investing and, and, and early financial independence... I, I just knew I needed to teach this to as many young people as I could. Starting in my classroom, I do touch on these, on those things in my classroom to a point. I still have a curriculum that I need to address and cover, but I definitely, you know, spend a few days out of, out of a semester talking about those concepts. And so when I found out that the, it was so difficult to get public schools to change these requirements to make this education more accessible, I, I just decided, you know, well, let's just use the internet and social media to, to reach as many young people as I can. So I, I created the community. It is called Sheik's Freaks, which is kind of a fun, interesting name. Uh, but I am a marketing guy, so the rhyming has, is helpful for, for uh, people to remember it. My, my last name is Sheik's, and then the Freaks comes from the idea that if, if someone is young, let's say 15 to 25, and they actually are motivated enough to spend time self-educating themselves. Maybe that's reading a blog post, listening to a podcast about their personal finance and their financial future. That is not normal. Most teenagers, that's the last thing they're going to think about. So they're different. They're exceptional, right? They're, they're kind of an outlier. They, and so they're kind of a freak in a very good way. 
they are impressive that they're doing that. So that's where the Sheik's Freeze comes from. So yeah, I've done my best in, in what free time I have to uh, create a community where if, if a young person is interested in learning about these types of concepts, there's a place they can go that's specifically for them. There are many different source resources out there for, for the general public, mostly people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, maybe 50s to learn about these concepts. But there isn't a place that I'm aware of other than Sheik's Freaks, the, the, the website and the social media platforms that we have, where if you're young, this is, this is information and, and, and sources put together just specifically for that age range for them to learn about these, these things. As you're working with this uh, this younger audience, do you think you see a lot of this kind of weird peer pressure where some of the younger kids, like they, they want to get into this stuff, but at the same time, they've got all their friends who are telling them, oh, cool, you've saved up some money now, like, let's go buy this, let's get this, let's get the coolest new thing, where they feel like they kind of struggle really embracing it? Yeah, well, I'd say the vast majority, again, the non-freaks out there of young people, they, that, that's the the environment or the community that they're in, their they're friend groups are taking after the adults in their life and they're spending every everything they make. That's the American way. We we love to spend money and our our marketing messages tell us that we deserve to spend everything we make. But there are those those outliers and you know in the adult world uh you two and your listeners are examples of you know there's people who um take a step back and say hey wait a minute there you know what about my financial future? This doesn't really quite make sense. If I make $40,000 a year to spend every penny of that and then some. And so the, the young people that have come to the Sheik's Freaks community that are engaged uh, and, and some of them I work with, um, Cody, you've met some of them and thanks for that. They are, it's at some point they've decided to kind of buck that trend of not thinking about their money and they're, they're very, very motivated to self-educate and, and seek out places where they can find others just like them. They're, they're, they're still very abnormal, right? This isn't the normal type of young person, which is why when they come together in, in a Sheik's Freaks platform, they can find people like them and they feed off each other. They hold each other accountable. They can share sources and, and articles and, and podcasts and stuff like that. So it, it really becomes kind of a, a melting pot for people to come together and, and feed off each other and grow together. Yeah, you have an incredible group of I was blown away by some of the questions when I came on and just kind of talked and shared my story that some of these, you know, 15 to 18 year olds were asking me like about business and, you know, entrepreneurship, all this awesome stuff. And I think you mentioned or maybe it was on your site that I read it, that a lot of them have the goal of retiring at 30. And just the fact that they know that that's possible from seeing people in this community is crazy. Like what 18 year old, you know, before listening to any of this information and all the freaks like myself and Justin and all the other influencers in the space think that retiring by 30 is a normal thing. I And I think stories are so powerful, Dan, I'd love if you could kind of, you know, maybe tell us about one of your freaks, you don't have to share names because of anonymity. But you know, do you have any of those standout stories where someone just came from knowing nothing to having some incredible path a couple of years later? Uh, there's a lot of great stories to share. Although, um, being so young, they have, they have, you know, they have a long way to go, but uh, I'll first touch on the point where you said that, um, well, th when they come to Sheik's Freaks, they have, they have some base knowledge because they've, they're not coming to Sheik's Freaks with zero financial education because they've, they're, they're at least motivated enough that they've been seeking out other sources. Many of them have listened to the bigger pockets, choose FI type communities, and they've, they've investigated, they've done some investigation and some education themselves. So they're not, they're not at point, although anybody who's at 
square one is more than welcome to join or participate in the Sheik's Freeze communities. Uh, absolutely. Um, but so for a specific example, uh, actually, so the, the, the Sheik's Freaks we're talking about, we, we collaborate. These are the, these are the, the most active members. And we have a, a Slack group that we collaborate within and we have our weekly zoom call that Cody was a guest on a while back and he did it. He did an awesome job telling his story. Um, these young people are pretty exceptional to be honest. And one of them just posted in the Slack group, I think about 10 days ago, and they just said to all the other members, Hey, what is your, what is the goal age? What age do you all want to reach financial independence by? I want to do it by age 27 or whatever this, um, Jabbar, I think, posted the question in there. And then they just uh, lit the discussion on fire and they all were chiming in. And I don't think anybody was over 30. They were, they were all had goals in their 20s, maybe as early as 25, which is possible. We've seen people do this, right? Cody, you being one of them. And so they, you know, just to find a place where they are like with other like-minded individuals and they have very similar goals um, sets them on fire. Uh, no pun intended. But so for one specific example, I'll, I'll speak about Jabbar. He's 19. He's in the Marines. He's stationed out east on the East Coast. Exceptional young man. And uh, he, uh, is, he just, I think yesterday, posted in the group that he is under contract to buy his first property, real estate property, which he is going to house hack. And he's been sharing with us the the difficulties, you know, the the mistakes he's made in the... In, 19 to get, uh, he's, he's got a VA loan, but he, he still had to get his credit score up and he still had to, for a while, he was thinking he was going to need a co-borrower. He didn't end up to needing to do that, but you know, he's, he's shared a lot of those, those experiences with the group. Pretty much every member in there is a future house hacker. That's, that's the, their goal to get into passive income, which I think is an excellent strategy. Um, but Jabbar is going to be the first one to actually to do it. And, you know, he's going to share that experience with with the members of the Slack group. And he's, he's actually making videos for me that I'm going to edit and put on YouTube and Instagram and on the website as well. So that people who aren't even a part of this specific Slack Sheik's Freaks mastermind group can still learn from his experience. And he's, he's incredible. He's doing great. You know, I think most people who get into this kind of financial independence space, like they're not lucky enough to get into it so early, but because of that, maybe they see a little bit of both sides of the coin. They see a little bit of what life's like spending the money and then they start kind of educating themselves and, and then they, they find their groove. For some of these people who are starting it so young, are there any kind of like cautionary situations where maybe they go too full in at such a young age or like you're like, hey, you know, uh, obviously you're doing some responsible things, but don't forget to also enjoy your life a little bit. You're, you know, you're 18, 19 years old. Yeah, I, I stress that to them quite a bit. And I say, you know, the journey to financial independence is not about getting there as fast as you can. Many people before you have done that and have regretted putting the pedal to the metal, so to speak. So it, the journey should be as enjoyable as, as your time after reaching financial independence. So if you're not happy, if you're not enjoying the journey, then you're doing it wrong. Something needs to be fixed. Um, I, I do stress that to them quite often because they are so young and motivated that when it comes to things like frugality and, 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 you know, earning extra income through a side hustle, they will go all in, you know, and their sleep, uh, takes a hit, their social life takes a hit and things get out of balance. So, um, I do need to remind them of that. And I'm glad you asked that question, Justin, because 
they are so young and motivated. Now, I, I also think that I, I kind of cheated when I picked my niche of young people, which I've been a high school teacher for a long time, so it was kind of natural to go there. But if, if you take your average adult and you try to mentor them to financial independence, you're dealing with a lot of things like they've already accumulated quite a bit of debt and they have some habits that are really hard to break. Going to a teenager who's still in high school, they don't have that yet. They don't have those problems. They have, they have yet to establish really bad spending habits. Lifestyle inflation is nothing but a foreign phrase to them. They haven't engaged in that. They haven't racked up credit card debt yet. They, um, they're kind of a clean slate when it comes to building a pathway to financial independence. So they're a little easier to work with and mentor, honestly, because they haven't made those mistakes. There are other challenges like they don't yet have a credit score built up. They don't know, like you said, Justin, what life is like in the real world yet. You know, some of them are in their 20s, so they do, but so they, there's that challenge too. But really, we all have a perspective when we look at our parents and we see most of the time the struggles or successes that they have in their financial lives. Maybe it's not openly discussed, but you at least feel that and see that on a day to day basis. So they have that as a baseline for most of them. So I know for myself anyway, once I started kind of teaching other people this financial independence, just any personal finance type content, you know, I was the teacher, I was telling them all this stuff, but then I started learning so much stuff from the community that I never would have learned if I didn't kind of put myself out there. I'm curious, Dan, like what have you learned from these kids? I'm sure they've kind of shared different perspectives, different lessons that you might have not thought of, or just, you know, since you're in a slightly different age bracket, different generation than they are, that they kind of bring these new ideas to you that you can implement into your own life. Oh my God. Yeah. They, they teach me stuff every single day. And, uh, and honestly, that's, that's just part of being a teacher in, in my classroom with, with my, with my normal students they, you know, you learn stuff every day, but in, in the Shakespeare's community, I can give you several examples Two just popped into my head as this one member Jabbar was going through the process of trying to get, uh, uh, approved for a loan for his first house hack. He was thinking about getting a co-bar, which I'm very familiar with that, but he mentioned in a post, that he was also looking at getting a co-signer. I didn't know what there was a difference. I thought it was the same thing. But we found out through him explaining it in the Slack group, there's a difference between a co-borrower and a co-signer. I mean, they both can be great ways to, uh, to get a mortgage if you're lacking in income or credit. There's a lot of examples. I'll think of another one here shortly. But that's just one example of how they, they teach me stuff all the time. The other thing I'm curious about, because obviously it's a younger audience, is kind of how are you best reaching this audience with as it being a younger audience? Is it through social media? Like, have you ventured into things like TikTok? TikTok and Snapchat should absolutely be places where Seeks Freaks is living, but we're not. Um, it kind of comes down to the fact that uh, I only have so much free time. I still have a full-time job. And honestly, teaching isn't a 40-hour-a-week job. It's more like 50 or 60. Uh, so I had a plenty, I had a lot of time during the summer um, and, and like my most recent winter break to to try to advance into different platforms like that. But right now we're, we're focused on Instagram and YouTube, which, you know, most teenagers and young people, Gen Z, they're, they're very active on those two mediums as well. I have an alumni who I, I do uh, hire as a subcontractor and she's doing work for me on both of those platforms. So as things continue to grow, uh, more responsibility will be passed to her and maybe another alumni or two working as a subcontractor. And maybe someday we are in, TikTok or Snapchat or whatever the, Nick, the the newest TikTok is in three or four years, we'll be all over that, I'm sure. But for right now, that's that's where we're where we're focused on is just those two social media platforms and our website. 
So we've been talking about you built this awesome community. You have been teaching for, you know, almost two decades at this point about personal finance and other related topics. We haven't even touched on the most recent thing that you ventured into to reach an even broader audience. And this is your book that is going to be coming out later this year. Could you just talk about the genesis of that? Like, how did that even come about? What inspired you? You know, how did you get the confidence to go and say, you know, what? I'm ready to write a book? I never, ever thought I would write a book. It's uh, it's an interesting story. So I, I'm very fortunate in many ways, but uh, Bigger Pockets, uh, the, the the headquarters of Bigger Pockets is in Denver, Colorado, where I live. Uh, and my wife and I are, are big supporters and, and active members in the Bigger Pockets community. So I'd say it was probably three, four years ago. They had a, a meetup at the Bigger Pockets um, office, the, the headquarters, and, and we went. We registered and went. And I met a guy there named Craig Curlop, who was at the time a very new employee of Bigger Pockets. Uh, and we became friends. Originally, we connected because we had similar aspirations of doing short term rentals in Colorado Springs. So uh, I learned about more about what Craig was doing. I asked Craig to come into my classrooms at, at my high school and talk to my students about what he was doing because he was crushing it. Uh, I think this is back when he had maybe his very first house hack. He might have been looking for his second. Um, and if and people don't know, he's, he's, he's now written a book about house hacking. He's financially independent. I think at age 26, he hit that and he's, he's, ki- he's killing it and he's doing just a great job. Uh, so to fast forward a little bit, Craig and then his coworker, his boss, Scott Trench, um, have been coming into my classrooms for a couple of years now on a regular basis and talking to my students about all these different types of concepts that go with financial independence, m- many different topics. And my students have been loving it and learning quite a bit from it. And then, you know, Scott had written his book, Set for Life, and Craig has written his book, The House Hacking Strategy. So I think a seed was planted. And then one day when they were in my classroom, they were getting ready to leave. And Scott asked a question to the class of students. He said, when we come back next time, what do you want us to talk about? What do you want us to cover? Great question, by the way. And one of the students said, you know, he said, I understand, I understand all this stuff. I I, I get it and I'm sold. And, you know, things like house hacking, passive income, I want to do that. I just want someone to tell me what to do and when to do it. And I'm, and I want to do it. And it, it dawned on me, like that's, that's a very, um, kind of high school thing to say, like, just show me what to do and I'll do it. But I also understood that that was a component that was missing. It's one thing to teach people about the concepts, but then you also have to kind of give them action steps. So this idea of a checklist was born in my mind that evolved into not just a checklist, but, but the book that I've, that I've written is, is more of the foundation laying the there's some personal finance, some really basic stuff in there, but there's also things about passive income and real estate investing and index fund investing in the book to lay that foundation. And then the second piece of that, which I haven't finished yet, will be, it's it's the checklist, but it's much more than that now. It's more like a roadmap. And here's here's what you need to do and when you need to do it and why you need to do it and how you do it so that you can go from, let's say, a junior or sophomore in high school to kind of what Craig did or, or Cody, what you did, being financially independent very, very early in life and giving them those resources to, to help them in their journey. As part of that book, are you doing some like case studies of different types or is this mostly focused on um, like what you've done with real estate or is it a pretty broad, you know, ways that people could, like young people could reach financial independence? Yeah. Yeah. The, the main point of the book is to just lay the foundation. And so there's, there's several chapters about different aspects to the fire movement and, and passive income and 
even house hacking's in there too. But yes, I, I do have case studies that will be in the book. Cody's one of them. I think there'll be about 15 or so case studies of various young people, um, all at this point in their 20s or 30s. But it tells they tell their story of how they got to, or not everyone's financially independent. Some of them are still on their journey to get there. But you know they they kind of talk about how they did it, why they did it, what resources they use, some advice to give. So there's several case studies uh, that will be throughout the book. So Dan, I know a lot of people, you know, like you said, they'll listen to all these things. They'll, they'll consume a lot of data, a lot of information, but then they're kind of looking for that. Okay, what do I actually do? And maybe for uh, a city like you're investing in Denver, that, you know, there's so many great success stories that have come out of that region. But now maybe people look at it and say, well, it's already blown up. Now I've missed mm-hmm. the boat. And I feel like that happens a lot of times where people will see an area they study it so much. And then by the time they feel confident with it, now they're worried that it's too late. So how do you feel about an area like Denver that has already exploded so much? Is there still room there to invest? Uh, Should that be a real concern that people have that's kind of keeping them on the bench as far as, you know, getting in the game of real estate? Uh, Great question. When people ask me, and I get this question, I've got it more often uh, or or more lately, I think, because People do seem to think that I, I think that real estate's kind of at a peak. But when they ask me about, you know, should I start investing in real estate now? My answer is always yes. Yes. It, it, I mean, if, if you have enough knowledge and enough money saved up and, and you have a specific strategy, that a, a focus that you've set your mind to, that you have some goals around that, then yes, the answer is yes. Because they'll say, you know, well, should I wait? Because I think things might slow down or they might come down, you know, prices might come down. And there's nobody can predict the future. It's a futile effort, either with the stock market or real estate. It's it it just is a waste of time. So I say, buy now. You make sure it's a smart purchase decision. Make sure it's going to be a a solid investment. Buy now and worry about the future when it happens. If if you you would have asked me or people were asking the same question in Denver five years ago, seven years ago, because they thought the peak was then, and now we're you know fast forward. To, to today and people are saying it now. We just don't know. It could the Denver market and, and many other cities across the country could see another 10 years of crazy growth. We we I mean that that's definitely possible. We just don't know what's going to happen. So to wait, in my opinion, is a mistake always. I think that's just a great point with not only real estate, but with everything. Like there's never a right time. Like you shouldn't wait seven years down the road for the you know the stock market to hit the lowest it's been in whatever, seven years, because you're probably never time it right. There's never going to be that perfect moment. And I think that's what keeps so many people on the sidelines for so long. I guess one of the last questions I want to ask here, Dan, is just digging a little bit more into your real estate journey. Like, could you kind of talk about that first deal to where you're at now? Because it's been quite a long, not a quite a long journey. It's been quite a uh, voluminous journey in terms of properties consumed in a pretty short amount of time. Yeah, well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll give credit where credit is due, and that is my wife. She started investing. My wife and I met roughly five years ago. Uh, we've been married for three or four years, uh, and so when I met her, she had she had a couple properties already. She actually had she she moved to Denver from California. They had a couple houses out there that were rentals, and then when she moved to Denver, she she ten thirty one exchanged those into properties here in Colorado because she was always managing them herself. So. One of the houses in California became a fourplex in Denver. And the after I met her, the other house in California became another house in, in Colorado. Um, but when we met, we really started amping up our real estate. And uh, we've bought several more properties in Colorado. 
Um, because the market is pretty expensive here, we've started investing out of state as well. So we now own three houses in Detroit, well, a suburb of Detroit, Michigan, and we're we're setting goals for 2021 to buy more in Detroit, um, where prices are a little lower. We have a portfolio of 15 units. Uh, we have we have multifamily in there. We have short-term rental in there. We have out-of-state in there. We've done some burrs, um, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. We've done some of those. Um, we have single-family homes. Um, most everything is long-term buy and hold. We've never done a fix and flip, and we don't we don't want to. That's not what we. It's not what we want to do. Um, not to say it's not a bad strategy because it can work really well. And so, yeah, we've we've got a variety. I don't know that we've set out to do that. And maybe that isn't the best strategy. Sometimes it is better to be more focused on a specific niche, but we definitely wanted to try short-term rentals. So we bought one. It is doing really well, but we also decided we don't want to do those. Any, we don't want any more than the one we have. We wanted to go out of state. So we've bought three out of state and we bird each of those. Um, they're all single family homes, three bedroom, one baths, uh, in a town called Wayne, Michigan. And they've been, they've been successful. They weren't like home runs. They were solid base hits. Uh, and that's why we're going to continue looking in Detroit, uh, in, in this 2021 year. And, you know, our multifamilies are all doing well too. We got in Denver with multifamily, um, well, two, three, four years ago. And, and we all know it's been continuing to go up. So, Well, one thing I'm curious about is we don't get as many guests who have any experience with the short-term rentals. What is it that as someone who's got both, why is it that you feel like that's not a road you really want to pursue anymore? Yeah, good question. So our short-term rental is in Colorado Springs. It's about an hour south of us. Uh, and we bought that, um, let's see, I think I got it right here. We bought it in, well, three years ago now in 2018. Um, we call it our pink house because it is literally a pink house. Um, it was that way when we bought it. It's a two-bedroom, one-bath, cute little bungalow-style house in an area of Colorado City that's known as uh, Old Colorado City. And it has been it has done really, really well for us. Um, you know, we've had a couple we, we've had a couple bad renters, a bad guest, but overall, it's been really successful. Even through COVID, it did. There was a, there was about a month and a half, well, maybe March and April, where things shut down, but but it came back pretty quickly for us. So the reason we haven't decided to do more of those um, is because in the city of Denver, it's, it would be tough to make it work. Um, we're just not experts in short-term rentals. I mean, you definitely you can do it, but with real estate being pretty expensive here, um, we didn't want to do it in Denver. Colorado Springs is a less expensive market. It's still not cheap by any means, but the property down there that's doing well, we just learned that they're, they're high maintenance. Managing a short-term rental you have tenants coming and going. Um, you have a cleaner that you need to manage unless you want to clean it yourself, which you can. Staying on top of the best pricing strategies for different you know, days of the week and weeks of the year and, and months of the year. Our, our location is somewhat seasonal. It's not crazy seasonal, but we do have you know, summers better than winter. And so they're, they're high maintenance. Now, it does pay off. Cash flow is, is a lot more than if it was a long-term rental. But we've just decided to go to stick with the long-term rentals going forward. Can definitely respect that. Well, Dan, I think we're nearing the end of the interview here. And I'm sure actually I know we have some people in the 15 to 25 demographic that would be perfect for your mastermind group just connecting. I know we also have parents who might have kids in that age demographic. 
but and we have people in between and older and younger who might just want to connect look up more of your resources and you know learn more about you what your the mission you have and all the education that you're giving out so where are some of the best places where people can connect and do those things yeah the 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 number one place to connect with me or to uh to message me is through our website which is sheiksfreaks.com s-h-e-e-k-s-f-r-e-a-k-s.com you can uh, you can send me a message through the website. There's a lot of great blog posts on there. Some other features that I think young people will really again everything's focused on them and their their age group. Uh, you also can reach me through. You can DM me on the Instagram Sheiks Freaks Instagram. I, I'm on LinkedIn as well, just under Dan Sheiks. That that's not a bad way too. Uh, and Bigger Pockets. I'm I'm very active on Bigger Pockets. Well, Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's uh, very inspirational to see not only what you're doing, but to see that there's all the, these younger people out there who are coming to it and accepting it and buying in. Um, I hope that in the future, we we just see a shift in our society and our relationship with money grow um, as a society. So I really appreciate you and the work you're doing and giving us some time. You bet, Justin and Cody. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I, and you guys need to just keep crushing it too. You guys are doing a great thing. We're all, I think we're all kind of a you know, we all have the same mission. We all have the same goal of just spreading the knowledge, spreading the, the, the awareness of early financial independence. So keep it up, guys. Great job. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.